Hey, this is Steve Campbell from the C3 Church. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Our prayer for you is that you'll be blessed, equipped, and enabled as you listen to this message. God bless you. Uh, But it's great to have Chris with us. Chris is a friend of the house. He's got lots of books and resources that I would highly recommend to you to have a look at afterwards. But let's just read a little bit of what Chris does. It it is Chris Kandaya OBE, we should say, because he got honoured in the last round of that. Helping to solve some of society's seemingly intractable problems through partnership across civil society, faith communities, government and philanthropy. A social entrepreneur, a broadcaster, an author and speaker and a great friend. So would you please welcome Chris Kandaya. Brilliant. Well, good morning everybody. It's a pleasure to be with you and greetings if you're watching online, uh, if you're in Colchester, Bury St Edmunds and a special warm welcome to you if you're watching on prison television. We're so pleased you're able to join us. Um, I want to tell you that the grace of God is global and unstoppable. It's for everyone, everywhere. No one is excluded. If you've written yourself off, God wants to welcome you in. And uh, I want to talk about that this morning and what that means for all of us if we claim to be followers of Jesus. I need to take you back to a difficult moment in my life. It was a school sports day. And uh, I don't know if you remember school sports days. Do we still have school sports days? Yes. Ours was at a local stadium uh, in Brighton, uh, the Withdean Stadium. It had one of those bouncy tracks. Uh, We were just an ordinary primary school, but we got used to this stadium for our inter-school sports day. And I'm stood there in lane four with my arm outstretched like this. And all I could think was, don't drop the baton. Don't drop the baton. And what happened was the, the, the starter's pistol went off and Martin Batchelor, he was greasy fast, right? And he ran the first leg of this four by 100 meter relay race at lightning speed. He did a seamless transition to Robert Bellis. And Robert Bellis was going so fast that you couldn't see his legs. They were just a blur. It was incredible. And, and then on came Justin, and Justin, he was running so fast that the wind resistance was pushing his cheeks back into the rest of his face. And there I was in lane four, ready to receive the baton. I think I'll tell you a little bit later about how this story ends. It's not good, but there is hope. I want to talk to you about a baton change that happened in the Bible. And it ties into this key word for C3 uh, in this season, which is the word sent. And I want to show you why that baton change happened successfully and what that means for you and for me. If you've got a Bible, uh, do open it up to John chapter 20. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, just listen in. That's totally fine. Um, You need to know what has happened. The most important event in human history has taken place. Jesus has died for the sins of the world. I don't know what kind of church you are, but in some churches that might elicit a little kind of round of applause for God. Uh, Or a hallelujah. 
or a praise of... All right, let me try this again. Jesus has died for the sins of the world. Not only that, he's been risen from the dead. And where is the church after this most important event? The event that changes everything, the event that changed BC to AD, that reset every clock. What is the earliest church doing just seconds, moments after these events have taken place? Have a look at John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Hang on. The most important event in human history has taken place. And where is the church? They are locked in a room for fear. You need to know that fear locks us in. It prevents us from being part of the amazing adventure that God calls each one of us to be on. And I wish I could tell you that the fear ends in this chapter and the church has been released from it for millennia and generations since. But sadly, that fear still locks us in today. Many of us Christians, we, we kind of live in a kind of retreat mode from the rest of the world. We try to insulate ourselves as much as possible from the effects of our culture and our world by going underground. There's a, there's a book that really drove me mad about this. It was called The Benedict Option. And the book basically says, the world is so broken, the only thing Christians can do is to hide. And don't let your children go to secular school because they'll become secularized. In fact, don't even let your children play with children who don't love Jesus because they might be impacted negatively. Uh, work for a Christian company. Only go to Christian institutions. Hide. Some people try that in a less scary way. So imagine that you can wake up in your Christian home and uh, the first thing that wakes you up could be Christian radio. Uh, and then you, you wake up and then you put on your Christian clothes and your Christian socks and shoes. You go downstairs, if you've got a downstairs and you have breakfast with your Christian family. Uh, maybe, you, maybe you have some Christian tea bags and a Christian, Christian cornflakes. And then you get in your car that you bought from a Christian car dealership. And maybe you have to go to the secular workspace. But don't worry, you can have a Christian screensaver <laughs> to protect you. And at the end of the day, maybe you, you go home, you listen more to the Christian radio, you come out to a Christian meeting, and then you watch Christian television, and then you go to bed and you dream Christian dreams. <laughs> for fear. For fear that will be contaminated or broken by the culture around us. Let's hide. That's the first thought that the earliest church had. Jesus has died for the sins of the world. But the church is locked in for fear. But something happens in this room that means you and I are here today. If these events hadn't have happened, that would have been the end. There'd have been very few Christians, maybe 11 if you're lucky. But something happens in that room that transforms scared disciples into spiritual superheroes. Let's see what it was. Three things, I think, that will unlock the fear for you. On that evening, on the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw 
the Lord. Three things. Firstly, the first thing that Jesus says to his disciples is important. In fact, it's so important that he says it twice. Have a look at verse 21, sorry, uh, verse 19. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Verse 21, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Now, John, who's writing this gospel, is very taut with his language. He never wastes words. He didn't have space for the parable of the prodigal son, which I thought was a great parable, but John hasn't got space for it because he's been really concise. But he still wants to repeat twice that the first words that Jesus says to this early church who were fearful was peace. This word is shalom. It means everything rightly ordered. Why is this so significant? Because before Jesus went to the cross, he promised his disciples something. He says, I'm going to go away, right? But I'm going to leave you peace. Jesus promises peace before his cross and resurrection. And after he's resurrected, he pronounces peace. The cross made peace possible between you, me, God, and the world. That's why Jesus submitted himself to it. We're entering the season of Lent. I know some of us don't kind of do the liturgical character. I'm going to argue, calendar. I'm going to argue why we should in a minute. But at Lent, we begin to prepare ourselves for the significance of what happened on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And what happened was Jesus made peace possible. You and I were about as far from God as it was possible to be. We, it says in, in Ephesians that we were objects of wrath. God was angry at us. Why? Probably the same reason I'm angry of myself. The sin, the stupidity, the, the brokenness, the wickedness that I've involved myself with. Maybe you can see that in your own history, in your own life. God hates sin. And to be honest, we do too, most of the time. When you hear about a, a lorry just yesterday uh, found uh, by a motorway with 18 dead Afghans in the back because someone was trafficking them but didn't think about leaving them any oxygen to breathe. People so desperate, they were fleeing war and terror that they paid loads of money and they got locked in the back of a lorry and they suffocated to death, 18 people. This has happened before. People selling fake life jackets. Can you imagine? For people that were making those small boat crossings across the Mediterranean or the Channel, they filled them with newspaper. Can you imagine how wicked that must be to deliberately give someone false hope, knowing they're so poor they'll do anything to get to safety, and then giving them a life jacket that's actually going to kill them rather than save them. You know how angry we get with sin and wickedness and injustice. And it's easy to point the finger and say, look at those evil people. But every time I'm pointing, there's three fingers pointing back at me. I know my heart is full too often of selfishness and wickedness. And God hates it. But God did something about it. God sent his only son into the world so that we might have peace with him. That God would punish Jesus in our stead. That we could be welcomed into the family of God. Knowing the peace of God quietens the fears and anxieties of these young men. Many people think they were just teenagers. They'd seen Jesus executed on a cross and maybe they thought it was going to happen to them. So they're locked in an upper room for fear. But Jesus just says, peace. He's done it before. Do you remember when there was a storm? 
battering a tiny little boat and the disciples think they're going to be, uh, be killed. Don't you care if we die, they say to Jesus. Jesus was asleep peacefully in the boat and he wakes up and he just says, be still, shalom. Suddenly, billions of cubic litres of air and water stop raging because the king is in town and he can bring peace out of chaos. Peace, he speaks to these frightened disciples. That's the first key for unlocking fear. Know the peace of the gospel. Know that whoever you are, whatever you've done, however broken you feel inside, however scared you are of what people might find out about you, God sees you and offers you peace. It's incredible. The second thing that happens is Jesus shows them his hands and his side. It's me. I didn't just recover from the cross. I died. But God has resurrected me. This is a true historical fact. Christianity is not a myth. It's not a fairy tale. It's not just a kind of security blanket to make you feel better in the night. It's real. Jesus really did conquer death. And he's really alive again. And that means we don't have to fear death. What's the worst thing that the world could do to these frightened disciples? Well, it could kill them, right? But that's no problem for God. God, God, God's going to resurrect them. They have absolutely no need to fear death. That puts a spine back in these disciples, doesn't it? That they realise they have peace with God. So if they die, it's all right. God is going to resurrect them again. But the third thing Jesus did was he gave them a purpose for living. He said this, as the Father has sent me, so now I am sending you. Do you see the baton change moment? You know, God set the trigger, didn't he? He set the universe into play. He he sent his people into that universe. He, He gave them a mission, even going all the way back to Abraham. He says, I have blessed you so that you can be a blessing to others. Go and bless the nations. That mission was given to the whole Jewish nation. Sometimes they got it right. Sometimes they got it wrong. When they got it wrong, God actually punished them and sent them into exile because of the way they treated the poor, the vulnerable, and the Gentiles. And now Jesus is coming to say, look, here I am. I'm fulfilling that mission that was given to Abraham. I am am the blessing of God being poured out into the world. Everyone that had a touch point with Jesus had an opportunity for shalom, for peace, for blessing. And now he says to these frightened disciples, peace, I'm alive. And you've got a job to do. You can't stay locked in. I want to release you on the world. I'm so grateful that those disciples took that commission seriously. Imagine they hadn't. The gospel would have just been great for those 11 people in the room. That would have been it. But thanks to faithful men and women, boys and girls, through the generations, there's been an unbroken chain, hasn't there? of the gospel, one generation to another, one continent to another, spreading around the world, the unstoppable global grace of God. And now it comes to us. What will we do? This is our moment. When I was growing up, I loved a TV show called Record Breakers. I don't know if you remember it. Some of you are too old, you don't even know what a TV is. You've only got the internet and YouTube. But this show, Basically, it was like a half an hour show where they had this uh, expert who helped write the Guinness Book of World Records. His name was Norris McWhorter. And uh, he was a genius, right? He knew everything about every single record. But the record they tried to break most often 
was the domino toppling world record. I don't know why that would happen so often, but someone would spend like three weeks setting up a warehouse with like a million dominoes and uh, they'd get some kind of B-list celebrity from Buck's Fizz or someone. I'm showing my age, you don't know what that is, that's okay. <laughs> and uh, they would, Cheryl, Cheryl, uh, would kind of press the first domino and then you know, these, these dominoes would spread across the room. And normally they'd be like, they'd be all black dominoes until the world record-breaking domino was going to fall. That would be the red one. And what would happen, probably about five dominoes away from the red domino, a domino would wobble, but refuse to fall over. It was terrible. Like, the, the whole nation's children were kind of semi-traumatised by this disappointment. <laughs> oh, my goodness, like, after all that work, how can you get here and you're wobbling, you don't do anything, that's useless. And then there was this guy called Roy Castle, and he'd, he'd kind of G, G us up again by getting his trumpet out and start singing a song called Dedication. That's what it takes. Anyway, look, you and I do not want to be that domino. In God's great global grace-spreading mission that wobbles and doesn't play its part. Because it, it kind of makes all that went before not unimportant, but, but somehow it hasn't transmitted that momentum on through us. And if that happens, something's gone wrong. I want to give you three other reasons about well, three other ways this mission should look. And then I'm gonna give you a practical way that you can respond. Um, have you noticed that in this little picture, you've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together? As the Father has sent me, so I, Jesus, send you, and with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Trinity are involved in this global, unstoppable grace mission. Now, to, to understand this well, I need to quote an Anglican. Do you know what Anglicans are? They, they're from the Church of England. And um, there's an Anglican called Bishop William Temple. And he was a brilliant, genius kind of orator. And he had this phrase that he used. The church is the only society on earth that exists for the benefit of non-members. Do you like that? This isn't about us. You know, it's not about us getting our little boost for the week so that we feel a little better. The church exists for everybody else. Now, I, I love Anglicans, right? In fact, I started going to an Anglican church. Me and them, we get on and everything, except for a little bit of this statement. I think this statement is kind of 80% true. Because can you think of another institution that exists for the benefit of non-members? Well, how about this one? Can you put my picture up? Do you recognise this picture? What is that in the middle? That is a lifeboat. Have you heard of the RNLI? Yeah. The Royal National Lifeboat Institute. Hmm, who do they exist for? Everybody. Everybody, including refugees, which is why I'm a supporter. When Nigel Farage told them off, I became a supporter and encouraged everybody else to support them for going and rescuing uh, refugees. It's brilliant, and asylum seekers. But look, imagine this. Imagine the local RNLI, and I know we're in Cambridge, we're a long way from the sea, but just imagine. <laughs> Imagine the local RNLI is struggling, struggling for funds, struggling for impact, and they say, look, we're asking a lot of our lifeboat men and women, aren't we? We're asking them to be available to be on a mission 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's a lot, and we don't even pay them for this, so maybe we should tone down the offering. 
and, and ask people to, to give less and do less. And so what they decide to do is to sell the lifeboat and invest, instead of the lifeboat, they're going to invest in a beautiful clubhouse. And they're going to kit this clubhouse out with the most beautiful things you can imagine. Really comfortable seats. That's important. A fantastic sound system. An incredible video wall so they can watch great sea rescues of the past. And they need a sound system so they can sing sea shanties to kind of remind them of the time on the wave. Do you see what I'm talking about? Is it possible that we, the church, have substituted the mission of God for our own personal pleasure? Too often, church is about me. In fact, I evaluate a church by, well, is there something for my kids? Was the speaker funny? Was the music up to date? Tick, 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 yes, great. That's a fantastic church. But that wasn't God's vision for the church. It's not wrong to have great music, and it's not wrong to have funny, inspiring teaching. It's not wrong to have nice seats. But this meeting here is just the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? This is a meeting that empowers us, equips us to be the church in the world in the week. That's what it's for. We're going to talk tonight about the revival that's happening in America. People say, is it a revival? I I don't know. All I know is that the proof is in the pudding. What kind of transformation will happen to these young people who are having a very emotional, intense experience with God? Does it just end in the room? Or does it spill out into the rest of the world? Because if it doesn't spill out into the rest of the world, it's not genuine life from God. Because Jesus told us, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Does that make sense? All right. I'm in lane four. My arm is outstretched. (laughs) Justin has run a fantastic leg. You know, he's he's never going to have a problem with kind of skin because he's had so much pushed back that he looks very youthful and very aerodynamic. And I am in lane four with my arm outstretched. Don't drop the baton, don't drop the baton. That's all I'm thinking. And then Justin arrives in lane three. I had a picture in my head about how this race would end. It would be me crossing the finish line because I was the fastest guy on the team back then. I would cross the finish line first. I would be paraded around Wistine Stadium on the shoulders of my coach and my three other runners. Uh, They would celebrate me. That didn't happen. I disqualified our team by being in the wrong lane. I didn't drop the baton because I couldn't actually legally receive it, right? My team were not best pleased with me. The only benefit was we managed to disqualify Elm Grove School as well because I was in their lane. <laughs> Small victories. <laughs> but friends, these teenage disciples bust out of that room. They were filled with the Spirit of God. Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That's beautiful, isn't it? This was like the kiss of life into those frightened disciples. Jesus reminds us, well, in the Old Testament, 
God breathed on, on fists of clay and they became spiritually alive. Now he breathes on frightened disciples and they become spiritually active. They're willing to get out into the world. They're unstoppable. People tried to kill the disciples and they said, bring it on. They tried to kill Peter apparently on a cross and he said, I wasn't worthy to be crucified the way Jesus was. Crucify me upside down is how some of the traditions went. Christians were sawn in two. They were stuck in prison. Nothing would stop them because they knew the peace of the gospel, the reality of the resurrection and they were part and caught up in the mission of God. Friends, I can't promise you that opening yourself up to the Holy Spirit will make your life better. It might give you a warm glow inside sometimes, but it might also send you out into really difficult situations. And I don't just mean those people that are called to be cross-cultural missionaries and give up their jobs. I mean it could just be difficult in your family when you try to share your faith with a brother, a sister, a child, or, or a grandparent. It might be difficult in your workplace where instead of just going undercover, you're actually willing to identify as a Christian, it could be as easy as tomorrow morning when someone says, how was your weekend? You just drop into conversation. Actually, I went to church and I found out that God loves the entire world. And you just leave it there and see what happens to your friends. That's what it could mean. It could lead you into incredible danger, but I promise you, there is no other life worth living. Yeah, that's right. This is what you and I were born for. Yeah, right. And we should be willing to die for. Amen. All right, here's... Two responses you can make. One of them is a silly one and a fun one, and one is more serious. Silly one and the fun one is it's Lent. And uh, many Christians uh, decide to do something different for Lent. You know, give up chocolate, uh, pray a little bit more, read the Bible, all fantastic things. I, I want to give you the opportunity, because Lent starts on Wednesday, uh, to dig in and understand your faith a bit better. And so I brought loads of books with me. And uh, we're actually doing a ridiculous deal um, four, was it? I think it's five books should be 35 pounds, 20 pounds and they're all about what does it mean to live as a disciple in the world today whether it's uh, this one which is disciples why I fall asleep when I pray and 12 other discipleship dysfunctions if you can identify with that uh, you might enjoy it it's a light hearted little book that will help you follow in the footsteps of the disciples this one, the greatest secret how being God's adopted children changes everything if you knew that you were... Oops, there you go. You're giving them away. Um, <laughs> if you knew that God loved you, whatever you did, wherever you've come from, I think that would transform everything we do. If you're passionate about refugees, this is our book about refugees. And if you've got people that don't share your Christian faith, this book could be fun. Faithism, why Christians and atheists have more in common than you think. Could be an interesting conversation start. So that's a silly one. Come meet me afterwards and buy some books. But here's the serious one. I want to show you an image. And uh, you might be watching this at home alone. You might be in one of our venues around uh, the country, or you might be here in this room. And I just want you to look at this image, and maybe you can identify with one of these matches. I think they represent three different types of Christians right now. So the match in the middle, that's someone who's alive to God, who's burning as best they could for Jesus. They're shining a light wherever they can. Fantastic. I want you to be like the burning bush. The burning bush should have been burnt up in a few seconds, but actually it was supernaturally sustained to keep burning for longer than it should have done, and that's what made Moses notice it. Remember? 
So is this just youthful enthusiasm? Is this just a fresh excitement about becoming a Christian? How do you make sure you keep burning forever? We'd love to pray for you to continue burning. If you're in one of our venues, you might want to come to the middle in a minute when we give you an opportunity to do that. Or maybe this other match on the other side is you. You used to burn brightly, but actually you've become a bit jaded. That passion and energy that you had at the first uh, start of your Christian life, that isn't there anymore. You're feeling burnt out. Well, we'd love to pray for renewal and restoration for you that you might know again the power of the Spirit coursing through you, helping you to be a witness for Christ. Or maybe, and come over to your uh, left, left side, uh, if you want to be prayed for in that area. And the last area is, is an unstruck match. Maybe you know you're full of potential. There's so many things you think you could be useful for, but you haven't found your niche yet. Haven't found where God could really use you. Well, we'd love for you to come to this side that we might pray for you, that you might be sparked into life. Just have a think about where you might be. We'll start to sing this song. And then Steve and I will kind of lead a little prayer response for you. And if you're at home, you don't have to move anywhere. Just uh, You might want to just open yourself up to God, maybe a little posture with your hands open. Say, look, Lord, where am I? What do I need to be sparked into life, to continue to burn brightly? Or do I need revival and restoral and restoration that I might burn again as I once did? Let's stand together. Let's uh, sing out and then we'll have our response time together. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray it's been a blessing to you. Why not share it with your friends and family through social media? If you're not on the regular podcast list, then why don't you subscribe? Thank you especially to those that give. If you want to give to this ministry, you can go to our website, thec3.uk slash giving and get involved. God bless you.